we understand that although we may disagree politically or about something about religion or something about a social issue, um, we can still respect each other and still love each other. He knew what it was and he knew how it felt. And he sat there with me for a long time. We shed tears and he sat there and encouraged me. A lot of times guys say they don't want to go out like that, you know, having an injury. And I do feel that, but more importantly, I feel like I have unfinished business. Welcome into the lounge. This week's lounge really was just me and Benjamin Watson, but we'll let you in for now to tape the beginning I'm, of this. I'm stopping into the lounge for happy hour, and then I'm getting out before dinner starts. <laughs> <laughs> I like the happy hour deal. Yeah. I can't argue with that. Yeah. So uh, Ryan is talking with Benjamin Watson in this week's episode. Uh, when this interview was done, I was out of town, so I appreciate you you know, holding up your end of the bargain. It's rare. It's rare that that happens, but you did your job. We seriously week. just got into a debate over lunch about how we have to pick up each other's slack when we're missing. This, I, I forgot about this one because it was like a crazy day. I think it was the pit injury. It was a nutty day. I'm running all over the place, and then Benjamin Watson comes up to my cube and is like, hey, you ready to take that podcast? <laughs> I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Worst timing in the world. It was, oh, whew. Well, like I said, I'm glad, that you, I'm glad that you held up your end of the deal, yeah. and uh, you got it done. So Yeah, and actually, it was kind of nice that you weren't there because, uh, as listeners will, will hear, this got pretty political. No, it didn't. I listened to it. It really doesn't get that political. It gets pretty political. You like to try to talk up like this big game that you're like coming in with the high hard horns. You're coming in with these tough questions and you're really getting down in the mud and you're really challenging him. Well overstated. It's a good interview, mostly because of bed, but it's a good interview. (laughs) But you're overstated. And it got deep, which you you like to stay surface level. I I get personal. I get, you know. It was deep. Yeah, it was pretty deep. Yeah. It was like, anyway. We're really teasing the hell out of this yeah. interview. Uh, but before we get to that, first we have, we talked last on last week's episode about not having good enough fan emails yeah. right, to really read one. Well, we Ste- got a great one. We, got, we had some really good ones. Like they, people stepped it up this week. That's right. So this one comes from Lauren Baker, who's from the Eastern Shore, and he's now living in L.A. So thank you very much, Lauren. His question, well, why don't we just go ahead and play the tape? Hey, guys. Two-part question here. Um, one, I feel like in addition to Weddle, uh Jimmy's Seafood or Crab Cakes does a lot of great recruiting, offering Crab Cakes for life. And I'd just like to know if you've been able to talk to the players to see if they actually take advantage of the free Crab Cakes for Life offer. Pretty sure Mink would do so, um, maybe on a weekly basis or daily basis. I do so at least twice a week, so uh, no shame there. But I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Also, second question is that I'm a big Ryan Mallett fan. Uh, have been since um, he was drafted. I think the guy uh, got the raw deal um, down in Houston uh, with an unneeded quarterback controversy, and it seems like he really found a home in Baltimore. You know, filling in when Flacco was down when we couldn't find a good QB to start and beating the Steelers, actually looking better than Flacco typically does in that game, much faster with reads and everything else. And, you know, then, you know, the Bengals game was okay. We lost, which sucked, but, you know, he made a couple of nice comeback drives and stuff like that. So 
I feel like compared to a lot of the other quarterbacks in the league that Mallet could start for most teams. And just want to get an idea of what you think the long-term plan is there. Like he's basically Flacco part two, except for incredibly more outgoing and has a really big mouth and everything else. But um, do you think he is someone that the Ravens are going to keep around for a long time, possibly trade, et cetera, et cetera. So thanks. All right. So thank you very much once again, Lauren, for submitting the question. And you're absolutely right. I would be hitting up the crab cakes for life on at least weekly. Right. Does it apply to your family? Because I'd have my wife in there. I'd be bringing a kid, friends, family, extended family, all that. Yeah, well, the CEO of Jimmy Seafood, uh, John Minidakis, I hope I'm saying his name right, but he uh, he did an interview with um, Glenn, Glenn Clark. Clark from Pressbox, mm-hmm. and he talked about how no matter what, you know, if, if Jeremy Macklin were to come in there and say, I want 100 crab cakes, <laughs> then you get – that order. I mean, he said it's his word is you know is his word, mm-hmm. and he said you're you have free crab cakes for life. So, however many crab cakes that includes, that's it, what he gets. It sounds like Jeremy Macklin's going to make the most of it. I don't I don't think he's going to be in there every week, but I think he's going to go in there a couple times, a few times, and and eat a lot of crab cakes. Well, well here's the thing. So if you're a rich guy already. Then the you, free doesn't. Then really the matter. free doesn't. Now some rich guys they still like the free because. Everybody loves free. It's actually true. We work with players all the time. They still love free stuff. Yeah, everybody loves free. Everybody loves free. I mean, that. I don't think you ever lose that. But I wonder if there's any, the fact that you are already a wealthy guy, that you can afford to spring for the crab cake wherever right. you go. I don't know if that's an incentive like for those guys like it would be for us. I would never have dinner at home again <laughs> <laughs> if I had the free crab cakes coming my way. <laughs> have you ever done a food eating contest? Uh, you know, when I was a kid, there was a place that we used to go to, like when I was in high school, that would do unlimited wings. And so we would go there and see who could eat the most wings. And I think, I mean, I think one time I got in the 40s, which is a good amount of wings. Really? One time I used to work at the Washington Post, and there was this guy there who was just an absolute animal slash filthy creature, John Goldberg. <laughs> Shout out to Goldie uh, if you're listening. Uh, and one day I was just like talking with some coworkers. I was like, I wonder how many McNuggets I could eat. You know, I... I wonder if I could get 100, you know? So, of course, as soon as you say the words, I wonder if I could eat 100 McNuggets, yeah. everybody in the office is like, oh, Mink thinks he can eat 100 nuggets. Let's <laughs> put your money where your mouth is. Come on, let's go. Let's do this. So, of course, me, getting yeah, peer pressure. Yeah. I always came to peer pressure. Uh, and one night at McDonald's, took down me versus Goldberg. I ate 69 nuggets. <laughs> he ate 78, and oh. he didn't show up to work for three days. And no. He yacked in somebody's lawn on the way home. Did you keep down all those nuggets? I kept down 69 nuggets. Really? I did. Wow. After 50, it gets rough. I can only imagine. Yeah. Anyway. Ew. Anyway. Uh, to like you said, like you said, you're a really deep person, so <laughs> <laughs> a lot of depth going on there. <laughs> this conversation. To answer Lauren's question, uh, I the Jerry Macklin's the only Raven, by the way, that has the free uh, crab cakes for life offer. Yeah. Um, so we don't really know if other players take advantage. I do think that Jerry will. And to answer Lauren's second part of his question, he's a big Ryan Mallet guy. Yeah. Wonders what his future is here. I, I don't know. I, I think you're stretching a little bit, Lauren, to say he's Flacco part two. Yeah. I think that's a stretch on Ryan Mallet. I like Ryan too, and he definitely proved himself against the Steelers. But you know, he had a rough offseason last year. There's no. Two ways of putting it. I mean, it was tough. He bounced back in the preseason, played pretty well, and beat out Josh Johnson in what was a legitimate quarterback competition, I think, for the number two spot. Now, I think it, you can kind of tell where Mount's stock is league-wide in that 
this year, it's not like people were banging down the door for trade offers or to sign him in free agency. He was a free agent that the Ravens brought back. Yeah. Um, so I don't think he's really in the future long-term plans. I don't really think that a team is probably going to want to trade for him, especially because he likely won't see any action this year. Um, so I think he's probably more of a short-term option. Maybe they could re-sign him again um, if he plays well in the preseason and, and whatever, is a good teammate and all that stuff during the season. But I don't think he's a long-term kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And He'll eventually draft somebody that I think uh, will, they will, can keep around I mean, for cheaper. Flacco's eventual replacement no. isn't on the roster right now. No. You know, no, it's no, not like definitely not. They're not, it's not like you're grooming somebody to take over for him. Joe still has five years left on his yeah. contracts. He is the, Joe is the short-term and the long-term answer. You don't think yeah. really beyond five years in the NFL. Exactly. Um, and so that's where it stands right now quarterback it's gonna be number five for a long time coming yeah so with that let's jump right into our interview my interview with benjamin watson we've been wanting to get you on the pod for a while (laughs) because you're one of the most interesting guys on the team from a lot of different perspectives uh so i want to start out first you're you're doing the rounds right now with your book and we're about a month since it first hit shelves the new dad's playbook and obviously the first question is why did you want to write a book about being a dad well, because I am a dad. A dad of five, actually. Uh, we have five children, uh, three girls, two boys. The oldest is eight. The youngest is one. We waited three years before we decided to have kids, and then we went, like, straight two-minute drill and just popped out. <laughs> well, my wife popped out. Uh, four, four kids in four and a half years, and then uh-huh. we waited and had another one. Um, but about after the second kid or so, uh, she said, Benjamin, you should write a handbook for dads. Uh, talking about fatherhood, talking about really, really talking about conception up into the birth, up until, you know, the few months after the baby gets home and you have your new family and just things to expect because guys work best when we have information that empowers us. So there's a lot of medical terms in there Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, um, uh, 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 the birth and what to expect when you go to the OB appointment and how do you um, buy maternity clothes and and uh, and what to expect when you hear the heartbeat and it sounds like a little radio in there and you know you see the ultrasound all the all the terms that you hear yeah. when it comes to the trimesters and everything through pregnancy um, but then there's also the challenge um, of fatherhood that's encouraging guys that they have what it takes to be um, the men, the husbands, the fathers that they're called to be. Um, so, so one of the reasons, well, the primary reason for writing the book is to encourage men because we live in a world where, really, in a country where, uh, you know, 33% of our our kids are growing up without a father in their home, mm-hmm. and while mothers do an amazing job playing both roles, sometimes there needs to be a father there if at all possible. Right. And so many things are linked to a father being absent. Um, that it's imperative that men, uh, young men, older men, maybe if you had a child and you weren't there for that one, you want to be here for the second one, whatever it may be, whether you're first, second, third kid, um, the encouragement there is to be present, not just uh, by sending your money or by paying for certain things, but by having your body, your person present there and engaging with your children because um, the next generation depends on it so much. Right. Yeah, I think as a society we're talking so much about how do we help people who are in need you know, yeah. lower income people, people in yeah. poverty and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And it's just not, not just those people who don't have fathers. It's no. everybody. But it's everybody. I think everybody on both sides of the aisle can agree the more good fathers that we have in this world to go along with great mothers, the better off that we're going to be. Very true. Very true. And, and you talk to guys, you know, being in a locker room for the last 13 years, um, you know, I, I'm around countless young men. 
yep. uh, myself included. And so we have these conversations. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of times people think all we talk about is football, and that's true, but we talk about a lot of other stuff too. Yeah. And as I, I remember being the, the younger player in my first, second, third year, we didn't have kids. My fourth year, we didn't have children. And asking guys who had kids what it was like being a parent. I mean, I had parents. I'm the oldest of six, but it's another. It's a whole other animal when you are responsible for somebody's life. Right. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Yep. And so I remember all those questions. And so part of the book, the New Dad's Playbook, is answering a lot of those questions. Um, everything from you know how does sex and intimacy change? You know, I, I, I guess that. Guess what chapter I opened to first? You opened to that one? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, all right, a, let's check out that one. And the funny thing is, with that chapter specifically, I'm sitting on the bed with my wife Kirsten, and, we're, and she, I'm like, "Babe, you know what are some, what do I need to put in this book?" And she said, "You know, you need to put something in there about how sex changes during different parts of the, uh, of the pregnancy, right. when to ask, when not to ask, how to serve, how not to serve." And she's like, "And you don't know? you ask me right now?" <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I mean, but but those are like real questions that we talk about yeah. as men, and 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 that I, I want guys to be able to. to to parent and to, to serve their the, the mother of their children um, the way they need to be supported uh, yeah. throughout this whole process. Yeah, I gotta ask you, so I have a 14 month at home, 14 month old, a little boy, Brooks, and uh, I gotta ask you, because everybody always asks me this question, did you watch during, <laughs> during the birth? Were you down there? Did you see the whole thing happen? Did you? I, I did. <laughs> I, I tell people you got to see it. I, I, did I, too. I think it's a miracle. I think it's amazing. I did too. But that's one of the questions yep. guys have. You know, it's kind of funny, but, you know, people want to know should I watch, should I not watch? Right. Uh, you know, I remember we, uh, my wife was pregnant with our first, and I remember being at practice in New England, um, it being late in the year. Uh -huh. uh, my daughter was born in January, so it was late in the year. And I remember asking one of, our, one of my teammates, he was a running back, he had three kids, and I was like, Sammy, uh, you know, did you watch? And he's like, no, I didn't watch. He's like, man, I, I, if I watch, it would be totally different. I'd be ruined. I could never look at my heart the same way. So I didn't watch for any of them. Uh -huh. Then I asked another one of my teammates. He's like, yeah, of course I watched. You know, just like you said, it right. was, you know, it's, it's a miracle. I got to watch my kids come into the world, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I did watch for all five of them. Uh -huh. And actually I got more involved the further along it got nice. like, with more kids. So, so the first two, I simply watched the first three. I simply watched. But by the time we got to number four, I was the one assisting the baby nice. into the world out of the birth canal. That's I was cool. more and more involved. You, yeah. you know, so uh, it was definitely. I definitely wanted to to see my children come to the world. Right. Another funny story from the book that I'll share before we move on is I thought you were talking about uh, like a birthing gift. What's it called? It's a, a push. A push, push present. Push present. Yeah. Right? Push present, man. And, and you had a funny story in the book about the push present that you gave Kirsten. Uh, they got you a little bit of a, they got you a letter in the mail from the NFL. You got to tell oh, the story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, not exactly a, a push present, but definitely like a, like a, a shout out. Know, a shout out, a push shout out almost. <laughs> so, so we, it was 2009, we were on the road uh, in kind of, kind of one of those trips where, um, you know, being an East Coast team in New England and we were playing, I believe, Seattle and Oakland. Uh -huh. So we stayed out there for two weeks. Well, Kirsten's nine months pregnant with our first child. Uh, I scored a touchdown in Seattle. And I knew she's watching. I look at the camera, put the ball under my shirt like I was pregnant, and just rubbed it and pointed at the camera, <laughs> um, smiling. Everything was fun, you know. The referee, of course, throws the flag out because I'm using the ball as a prop. Right, um, right, right. And you know, in the NFL, if you ever get a, a FedEx envelope on a Wednesday, um, it's not from, it's not anything positive. Usually. <laughs> right. So uh, I got fined ten thousand dollars by the National Football oh. League. Um, 
they rescinded half of it, so I, it ended up being five okay. grand. But uh, it still was an expensive shout out. It was <laughs> worth it, but I never did it again with any of the other kids. But, <laughs> but the push present is important, though. It's kind of this cult thing that's going on. Yeah, uh, you don't have to do it. Uh, it could be anything. You know, my wife has gotten push exactly. presents of like breakfast every morning since we had the baby. I make, I think every yeah, single morning. Exactly. That's a push present. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's just kind of the acknowledgement that hey, you know. You did something really amazing, and yeah. I want to honor you for it. Yeah, really difficult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so this isn't your first time as an author. You also wrote Under Our Skin, mm-hmm. uh, which really tackled uh, race in, in our country. And, and you wrote it. It was released, and you wrote it right after Ferguson and all yeah. that stuff yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, it was released. Uh, so Ferguson happened in 2014, and the book came out in 2015. Right. So, I mean, what can you say about, I know it's a, a broad question, yeah. but about how kind of, race has become a huge topic in our country and a very uh, you know, difficult topic to address from yeah. both sides of the aisle, kind of. Yeah. Where yeah. have you seen things change? Uh, well, race is at the core of, uh, of who we are as a country. Yeah. Um, when you look at our history 10 years back, 20 years back, 200 years back, whatever it may be, that's always kind of been the common thread, um, how we deal with different people groups. Right. Um, and so it's something that has never gone away. Um, it's changed, obviously, for the better, I believe, um, in a lot of areas. But it's something that keeps on coming up. And it's something, like you said before, is very, very difficult to talk about because now we're in a time where, um, you know, we're scared to say certain things. We don't want to be labeled, even if our questions are genuine sometimes. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be labeled a bigot or racist. And so many of us, instead of engaging with each other, we stick to our corners. And especially when a certain racially motivated event happens, like a Ferguson, mm-hmm. um, you really see how polarizing it can be and how we get in our corners and we really don't discuss anything um, because we have a certain group think that we have to identify with. We feel compelled to identify with. Right. Um, and, and so my whole point with, um, even un- with Under Our Skin and even in writing that Facebook post that people um, read and, and kind of led to the book was about being honest about it. You know, saying, you know, I'm angry that this stuff is happening, um, but I also can try to see another side of it. Right. I also know that I don't know all the facts all the time. Right. Um, and I want to be someone who is my allegiance to be the truth and not necessarily to my upbringing or the color of my skin. Right. You know, because of the color of our skin, or the, really it's one color, the shade of our skin, the shade of brown that all of our skin is, <laughs> um, we feel that we have to think a certain way sometimes, yeah. um, even if it's wrong. And so the whole point of under our skin is to say, you know, we have an issue with this, let's talk about it, let's be real about it, let's lay it bare, let's address it from all sides, and let's have an allegiance to truth and not just, um, what we think uh, is popular for us to say because of our backgrounds. Yeah, I think that's what's really interesting about you. What's always struck me as interesting is you're a black man, yeah. and, and but you uh, sometimes I feel like have political viewpoints that aren't generally associated with a black man your age. Or yeah. You know what I mean? Like yes. You, and I would imagine that that leads to some very interesting conversations in the locker room. It does. <laughs> yeah. it, it does sometimes, but no, it's not even. But, but see, the thing is, like, even in the locker room, it does lead to some interesting, interesting conversations. Um, but because we have relationships in the locker room, where yeah. we know each other. Yeah. Um, we know that most of the time we're not being malicious. Yeah. And we understand that although we may disagree politically or about something about religion or something about a social issue, um, we can still respect each other and still love each other. Yeah. And that's what's missing, especially in the social media culture. And 
and in our culture in general is that a lot of times we don't have a relationship with anybody that's different from us um, economically or um, with our ethnicity and so it makes it hard to have these types of conversations and still have respect for the person and still love the person right. because we just see them as somebody that's totally different with nothing in common um, and it doesn't care about us and is out to get us now sometimes that's true mm -hmm. sometimes that's very true but a lot of times it's not but until we have an intentional relationship with somebody that's different than us and, it, and I say intentional because um, it, 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 you have to be intentional about reaching out and having a conversation and forging a relationship with someone that you probably wouldn't normally for, have a right. relationship with. That's why I love the locker room is because you got guys in there from Podunk, Idaho, to <laughs> inner city, wherever. Right. Um, guys who were raised on a farm, guys who you know go hunting all the time, guys who've never picked up a gun. Right. I mean, it's it, you got you, it runs the gamut. Right. And and you still even in that city, even in that. That, uh, that bubble that, kind of. That bubble, of you have to still be intentional because you can still go about your day and never really talk about anything important. Yeah. But I think it lends itself, um, to, if you're willing, to having those conversations. I mean, some of the best conversations ever have been in locker rooms and then we're like, no, I don't agree with that. No, you're crazy. Are you serious about that? That's racist. That's not racist. How could you say that? But right. then... But then we forgive each other and we say, okay, well, you know, we disagree to dis disagree on that. Right. So who's, who have you had the best conversations with, political conversations within the locker room? <laughs> well, I've had a lot. I've had really, um, well, he's not here anymore, but Forsett. And we agree on a lot of different things. Yeah. Some things we don't agree on, but we have a relationship there where, where we can talk about certain things. Yeah. Um, I had another teammate. Um, in, in New Orleans, a guy named Zach Streif. Yeah. And we'll have conversations with him about, about race. He's big, white guy, <laughs> offensive tackle, um, you know, but, but we would talk. Did he like to hunt? I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he did. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think he was a hunter. I don't think he was a hunter, but he was very um, willing to engage in these types of conversations. Yeah. And, it, and the thing is, is especially with Ferguson, and I actually write about him in my book yeah. because, um, he he has a, he has a niece who whose father is black, mm -hmm. and so a lot of things that he didn't see before, when he when she was born, it all of a sudden became real to him. Wow! And so we would talk about these things, and he would say, "Yeah, I just didn't think about it until it actually touched me personally." Yeah. Um. And, and you know, so, so that's the that's the hope is that you have empathy for people that are different, even yep. if you don't understand you know exactly what they're going through yeah, and speaking of that you just uh, got back not too long ago from a trip to Lebanon uh, yeah. where I'm sure your empathy for the whole refugee situation just probably went through the roof uh, yeah. seeing it firsthand can That's you just right. talk about uh, you know your work over there and, and yeah. how it changed you yeah it um so it, it came out of the blue from a pastor from a church we've been going to here in Columbia Maryland asking me to go to Lebanon and I'm thinking go where like, <laughs> I am in rehab I don't have time to go to Lebanon um, but it was a short trip because he didn't want to miss a Sunday so really really we were there for five days I mean yeah. including travel so it really was awesome for me with the kids and my wife was saying you know you need to go I have a feeling that you know this is an opportunity that you may not get. So basically we met up with World Vision, which is a large humanitarian organization. And uh, for the three days we were there, we spent time in the Bekaa Valley, which is, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, which <laughs> is right on the border of, of uh, Syria, yeah. which is where a lot of um, these refugee camps, but they call them informal tenant settlements, are. They're mm -hmm. on a lot of the agricultural land there. And so we spent time in some of the camps, had a chance to sit down in a, in a tent with a, um, a Syrian family um, and hear their story through an interpreter. You know, everybody speaks Arabic. 
so we everything was through an interpreter. But just talking about the fact that they were in their home and their home was blown up and they just ran out with basically the clothes that they had on, mm-hmm. um, a husband or wife, they had kids. Uh, one of them, one of the guys had been shot um, and they traveled over the mountains into Lebanon. They've been there for about five years now. Gosh. And so this, this crisis has been going on for, for I want to say about six years or so. Mm-hmm. And so we spent time doing that, seeing what World Vision did as far as uh, providing clean water in these camps, latrines, you know, toilets, um, different sanitation, providing food for them. Um, and, and really the, the thing that struck me the most was sitting in that, in that tent on the floor as it's a tradition, uh, talking to this family and hearing them say, you know, when we go to bed at night, we just dream that we wake up and we're back home in Syria. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what hey, we these he- people don't want to be living like this. They don't, right? Not, not at all. They don't and, want to and, be and, yeah, and, refugees. And, and, and looking, you know, taking it back to fatherhood, you know, looking at these men in their eye, the fact that they are having a hard time providing for their kids, mm-hmm. but they want to provide for the kids the same way that I do. Right. And being able to just encourage them and say, you know what, I I, I, um, I respect. Um, what you're trying to do for your children, mm-hmm. trying to provide a life for your children. They, the children have a hard time going to school. World Vision provides some sort of childhood education for them. They, you know, we saw a lot of the, the way that they developed the inf- infrastructure of the host country as well as um, for the refugees there. Um, but that was what really struck me was that, you know, these people are from another country. They're from Syria. We're from the United States. Um, we were Christians. Um, they were Muslims. Um, totally different traditions but as men as fathers looking across you know the 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 floor to each other and able to say you know i as a as a dad you know i'm i i I feel your struggle right you know i don't know what it is but i feel your struggle and we will be praying for you and advocating for you as much as we can and so it really was an encouraging trip i had a chance to stay in beirut for a little bit and meet with the pastor there who um does a lot of work in in what's one of the largest neighborhoods in the Middle East and talked about how he hears threats from ISIS on his phone and, mm-hmm. and how people in his community are threat, threatened by them. But um, just to see the resiliency, even of the refugees, the hope that they have, um, and also the way that the Lebanese were serving these, these Syrian citizens right. who not too long ago, Syria was occupying Lebanon. Right. So you have that dynamic of... Uh, you can of, have definitely some hostility there. Exactly. Right. And, and they were talking about how it was hard for them to do that, but they wanted to help people. Right. <clears throat> and so, I mean, you know, Lebanon has, I think, five and a half million people, something like that. You know, not a whole lot of people, but there's over a million and a half refugees. So right. it'd be, kind of be like if like a hundred million people just showed up in the United States over the course of the next right. five years. How will we deal with that? Right. Um, so just and really... You hope just, that, that we would deal with it the way that the Lebanese are. Yeah, but, and it's, a, it's complex. Yeah. It's, I, you know, I walked away feeling like, man, I wish this whole Syrian thing, I could just wish it away, yeah. um, this crisis. But it's very, very complex and it affects a lot of other surrounding countries, not only surrounding countries, but countries around the world. Yeah. Well, I think all your off-field stuff is really awesome. I really do. Uh, with that said, we do. We probably should talk some football. Yeah, we should. Yeah, I think people <laughs> want to hear some football. People do well, want to hear yeah, about this, that. I can this, talk about like, this for like, like an hour with you. They're like, this is not CNN or Fox. Can we talk some football? <laughs> all right. So you're coming off the Achilles and people yeah. want to know how it's going for you. Yeah. It's going well. Um, you know, it, it's a very tough process. I felt very, very disappointed. Yeah. Maybe not devastated 
um, long term, but very, very disappointed coming here, moving my family from New Orleans, having excitement about being here in Baltimore. Wanting to, every time you go to a new city, you have to earn the respect of fans, earn the respect of your teammates. Um, you want to prove that you can, can play the game and you can contribute. Mm -hmm. And watching this year was one of the toughest things I've ever done. Mm -hmm. um, you know, going to, I went to the games. I would go to the games. As soon as I was mobile, I would go to the home games I would, on my scooter, you know, pushing, right. pushing myself on the scooter. Right. And then I went to crutches. Then I went to the walking boot. Mm -hmm. um, so I went through the course, through the, but I made it to all the home games. Um, because I wanted to at least be there, but it was very hard to watch. So um, I'm nearing the end of the rehab, you know, kind of the last little bit where you really got to get the calf stronger because it turns into like a little string bean, you know, because <laughs> I mean, your whole leg just disappears right. uh, because you can't use it. Um, <clears throat> but this rehab, I've had, I've had a number of surgeries. Um, I think I counted about seven of them. Mm. But this one is is uh this this rehab is definitely the toughest. But I am I am you know getting stronger every day and, and looking forward to being back. How much have you talked to Steve Smith about this whole thing? Considering he also went through the yeah, Achilles. I texted I probably text with Steve uh, probably every few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> the last text was about three days ago, four uh -huh. days ago. Didn't know who's gonna show up today, um, but it was, it was a few days ago, and um, you know just uh, just asking him what was it what was it like around you know month eight month nine. Uh, when you're when you're getting close and you know you're still trying to get that that spring back and he always has some good encouraging words. I mean he always reaffirms that you know just just keep on pushing, man. Just right. keep on pushing. And, and obviously with Dennis Pitta uh, tragically going down with his yeah. hip injury, everybody's talking about you and mm -hmm. you know saying it'd be huge if Benjamin Watson stepped up and and could yeah. fill that role that Dennis did last mm -hmm. year. Just what do you say to people about that? I mean how confident do you feel like coming off of this? that you can be an impact player this season. Well, that's why I'm rehabbing. Yeah. Um, if I didn't think I could play, if I didn't have the desire to play, then, um, you know, at this point in time in my career, I would have I would have walked off to the sunset, right? Yeah. So the goal is to get back, and the goal is to be the player that I was, a player that um, can contribute, the player that can help us win games. Right. Um, I was it, – it's kind of weird because, you know, I come here last year – uh, Dennis had an injury. I come here. I have an injury. Then he plays. Now he has an injury. Right. Um, it's the nature of the game, and um, it really being at practice when Dennis went down. Um, I wasn't practicing, so I was able to go over to him and actually get under his arm, uh, me and a trainer, and carry him into the mm -hmm. the training room, and. I felt so terrible for him mm -hmm. because I know how hard it is to come back from injury. I know how much work we put into this. I know how we dedicate ourselves to our craft and how emotionally we get tied into doing this because this is what we love to do. And to see another guy who, who I respect tremendously as a, as a player and a person go through that because I know what it feels like, it, it, it hurt to see that. Yeah. You know, it, it, the, the whole weekend I'm sitting there thinking like, Lord, I just, I, I'm just praying like, hopefully he gets to the doctor and it's, and it's not as bad as, as right. you think it is. Right. Um, even though that's what he was, he was telling us as we were carrying him in. Um, and so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And I kept thinking about when I got hurt and I tore my Achilles and they carried him into the locker room and they sit me on the table. And I didn't know this until I sat on the table and looked turned around and Steve was sta was was standing right wow. there. He had followed me in because he knew he knew what it was and he knew how it felt and he sat there with me for a long time. We shed tears and he sat there and encouraged me um, because he knew what I was about to go through. And right. so, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to to Dennis. Um, 
But, you know, that this year my goal is to, to come back and play. I mean, that, that's what it's always been. I, a lot of times guys say they don't want to go out like that, you know, having an injury, and I do feel that. But more importantly, I feel like that I have unfinished business, um, you know, with this team. Right. Awesome. Well, we're all rooting for you. Appreciate Thank it, man. Thank you for talking to me. Appreciate all right, man. it, man. All right, well, thanks again to Benjamin. Uh, really good stuff. I mean, he's you talk about interesting people on this roster. He's one of the most interesting guys that there is, not only just on the Ravens roster, but, I mean, one of the more interesting guys I've really ever met. A guy with a big heart, uh, strong in his convictions, but willing to learn and learn more about the world and, and change his viewpoints if needed, I think, um, on some issues. So I, th- I think that's really cool. I have a lot of respect for him. Um, and just before I close this thing out, on the topic of tight ends, just give you a quick take here because in Mailbag, Garrett and I t- taped it this week, and the question was, what's the best competition that's remaining? And I think it is tight end. That obviously includes Benjamin. And uh, it's going to be really interesting because I think that you don't really know what's going to come from Benjamin. He still has a ways to go in his recovery. You look at Nick Boyle, probably he's got the leg up as the starter. He and Crockett Gilmore, as of now, not knowing what Benjamin is going to be like uh, when training camp rolls around in the preseason. Um, so Nick Boyle, Crockett Gilmore, Darren Waller, I still think has some room to grow, but a very high ceiling. Um, so you have some interesting players. Max Williams, his knee, I, I don't know how that's going to turn out. It's a surgery that's never been done before to a football player. When you hear that, it doesn't sound like it's going to be anytime soon. Uh, so it'd be, he'd have a comeback effort for sure if he were going to factor in uh, this season, I think. So really interesting stuff coming up in the tight end competition. And uh, we'll have all the updates for you. And the lounge is not going anywhere. It's summer vacation time, but we will still be here, still be delivering episodes. So make sure you keep it tuned in. And as always, you can reach us at thelounge at ravens.nfl.net. We'll be back with you soon enough.